views expressed in this program are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the views of 94.9 CHRW. Hey, um, it's Peter. Uh, uh, is this a bad time? Is this a bad time? Where are you? I'm in my car at the punishment light. Uh, punishment light? It's the street. It's a light. If you don't make it, you sit forever. Ah. It makes absolutely no sense. There's no cars. No one's trying to cross. It's just put there to make you miserable. Right. So, uh, well, then I'll make this quick. Um... Good morning, London. It is Thursday, June 28, 2012. I'm Bob Metz. And I'm Robert Vaughn. And this is Just Right on CHRW 94.9 FM. Where we'll be with you from now until noon. No, no, not right wing. Just right. Fade into color, color into black and white. Under the bedclothes, everything will be alright. And welcome to the show today where everyone has an opinion of how, on how the city of London should be run. And if you do too, you can call us at 519-661-3600 to join us in our conversation about issues of that nature. No, this is not Rethink London. This is London's round table on the environment and the, and the economy. And to join us in studio today, we have with us our guest, Kim Ainsley, president of Nordex Research. Welcome, Kim. Thank you very much. Glad to be here. Well, we're glad to have you. A former guest as well. And a former guest as well. Yeah, you're no stranger to the show. That's right. And we had talked many things on, on civics before, on market development and public policy research, and some of the top issues that you keep us informed on in the city, being a pollster as you are. Yes. Well, what have you learned from this? Uh, now, most people are reading the free press. It's just full of all of this stuff with Rethink London, which to me sounds like a cartoon, okay. to be honest with you. <laughs> now, this is what you're talking about is London's round table on the environment and economy. Tell yes, us a bit about that and how it's different from the other one and, and why maybe so many people might not even be aware of it. Sure. This uh, got, well, they won't be aware of it now because, in a sense, it's come to a conclusion. Mm -hmm. But the idea got started back in uh, uh, 2010, and uh, then we finally got it uh, together uh, by 2011. So, in a sense, the startup date for those who wanted to join the roundtable uh, was in October. It got started because we weren't very happy, for example, with uh, online surveys. Uh, people weren't responding very well, and frankly, we were getting, in a sense, truncated answers to serious problems. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, some uh, city officials and I online got surveys aren't that accurate, are they? I mean, well, they're certainly not re sampling, not representative. But yeah. we we were trying for large sample sizes, which sometimes wipes out the problem of uh, representativeness. But that wasn't working either. So I suggested to these officials, gee, wouldn't it be a good idea if we got folks to submit emails to us, perhaps up to 500 words, we would pose sort of general questions to them, and they could answer as they saw fit mm -hmm. um, in terms of free of expression. Also, I was big 
on the idea that this ought, ought not to be dominated by a social media. Uh, so I didn't want folks getting involved in um, uh, deliberately sort of one-on-one con- contested argumentation. Something you'd see, for example, uh, in the commentary uh, section of the free press after the articles mm-hmm. are published. So we didn't want people tearing their hair out in, in a sense. <laughs> we, we wanted them to ha- have a, s- a sense of comfort and, and a capacity to express themselves uh, without being, in a sense, bludgeoned or bullied. And that's what we got in the emails, and we're, we're very happy th- with the results. And, and by the way, the, the project ended uh, in May of 2012 this year. So the participants, at no time did they ever meet together? At no time did they meet. In fact, this um, idea was developed. I, I, I don't talk about it much, but it's a very old parliamentary idea. It is the idea that citizens uh, should have the right and the opportunity to petition their governments. And that's exactly what they did here. It's an old common law. It's like right. when you do when you vote. You have a you have a secret vote. Well, it's, it, so to speak. <laughs> that's right. And in this case, um, uh, although in a sense the privacy laws and the various um, freedom of information uh, legislation requires us in a sense to reveal what they say. Strictly speaking, this was pretty much a confidential uh, set of inputs from ordinary citizens to the administration of the city of London, and uh, on questions that the city officials wanted to see answers on. Now, I have to um, maybe let you know that I've sat in on some of these roundtables, not this one here, because it's obviously an online one, but I've sat in on on, uh, roundtables with the Board of Education. And I know exactly what you're talking about when you say that, first of all, they are not representative. They are picked by uh, certain special interest groups. They are overly dominated by activists. There are bullies. There are those opinions that get expressed to the exclusion of others. There's ridicule. There's all that kind of stuff you find on Facebook. (laughs) (laughs) But they were all sitting around a table or off in focus groups. And it's all going on. These dynamics, the more powerful people over the less powerful, the the more vocal over the less vocal. And um, this particular idea that you have seems to have addressed all of that negativity, all of that uh, unbalanced, that bias, that activist biased, and uh, it's unrepresentative of the city. So you seem to have um, come out with something, well, we, a we good s- tool. We spent about 25 years in the uh, public opinion business here in the city of London and elsewhere across the continent, so we've learned a few things, Robert. And one is you, you can't allow these people, in a sense, to start tearing their hair out and going at each other in terms of uh, you know huge negatives. And so... Well, sometimes it's not that. Sometimes you get one that starts leading the others and then they start well, following an opinion that isn't necessarily oh, their own. Peer right. pressure, yes. Yeah. That's, that's right. Kind of intellectual that, intimidation. That, that's, I've always it. found you get a more honest response from an individual alone than two or three more together. And even, by the way, when we got responses back that, frankly, we're not the best, mm-hmm. at least people had the opportunity to express themselves. And by the way, they could do it in this uh, roundtable and online and by email they could do it uh, to the heart's content. There, there, there was no, no intimidation, uh, no obstacles. And they could also consider their opinions and write them down because there's a huge difference between sitting at a table telling somebody what you think might be your response um, in, fa- in, the, in the face of other people and taking a question, considering it, coming back to it the next day, writing a draft, writing and going it over and then sending it in an email. Well, that's funny you mention that because we found people actually mentioning that to us. (coughs) 
gee, over the course of the last couple of days, I've thought about this, and by the way, here's my response. Mm-hmm. And we were just blown away by, the, in a sense, the uh, uh, the rigorous attention to their considered thoughts. And this was this was a marvel. So uh, we, we were very happy with what no. people did. Now, having said that, I must tell you what the negatives are. Uh, just to be mm-hmm. honest, and we're going to talk about balance later in this program. We had 770 registrants and about uh, 339 people who actually participated. So, in a sense, we had a, 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 a phenomenon was going on that we've discovered, we know about in Canada. It's called the uh, spectator participant political culture. People like to come to hockey games and just watch the game and not participate. So, we had an awful lot of people, 50-some percent, who just said, I'll, I'll come and watch. That's interesting. So, why I, w- I would have assumed you wouldn't even want them there. Wouldn't you want only participants, people who would be putting input? Well, the short answer is we, uh, we did not cut them off. Uh, uh, um, uh, did some I, start I, off I, that I, way and end up being a participant? Some do, uh, but mainly those who joined started off d- doing their participation. And, and by the way, those who participated along the way, we had 15 batches of questions, two per, 30 in total. Some would only do maybe four, five, or six at ir- irregular uh, uh, periods or, mm-hmm. or intervals. So it just depended on, the, on their uh, personal uh, position. And I'll tell you that the key impediment for people, and it's a very mundane thing, people just get too busy in their lives to be able to respond to them all. Now, I think I was reading here here in your um, summation that only, what was it, six people lasted for the entire 15 batches of questions? Six. Out of 700 registrants, 339 respondents, only six lasted to the end. Why is that? Six people answered 30 questions in detail. Why is that? Well, it's busyness. Uh, Some people simply didn't like the questions. Mm -hmm. Uh, We found, by the way, in terms of examining this, that the quality and the the topics of the questions brought people in or or took them away. So, for example, here in the City of London, if you ask a question on garbage or recycling, you will have tons of people coming in to talk to you. If you ask about corporate responsibility, as we did, they stay away in droves. (laughs) I'd be one. (laughs) Well, isn't it, what is the actual purpose of collecting information like this really in the long term? Because um, if you're dealing with the public as a customer, then certainly you're talking about customer preference. If you're dealing with the customer, with the public as um, input to governance, are they really qualified to speak on that subject? Or, you know, in terms of understanding the city finances and... and As a matter of fact, before you answer that, Kim, it says right here, most respondents evinced a desperately poor understanding of modern economics. That's so indeed. why should we even take their opinion on things that That's are going indeed. to cost us money? Indeed true. And <laughs> here's the answer to it. Because uh, folks, generally speaking, know what their own interests are, and they're able to communicate on it. In fact, we found a, a reasonably high level of uh, communication. Uh, often, in fact, most often, folks spoke in, in terms of ideological discourse. They spoke... Uh, about ideas from the right or the left. And you folks will find this fascinating. It's, it's not even that they spoke just in terms of, of common parlance or just ordinary practicality, although that certainly came out. But they knew how to take positions. So why do we do this? Because people know their own interests. Always. That's how the marketplace works. They, they always do. <laughs> so if, if you, you accept the idea that they know how to purchase a product in the, in the commercial marketplace, you're going to have to uh, take on the notion that they know how to, how to say yes or no to a public policy program 
that government offers. But if they don't know the economic argument for a particular program, for example, and you ask the question, should the city build this, whatever this might be, and people say, yes, that's a great idea, the city should build that. But if they don't know that that costs $100 million and that the city is already on a tight budget, are you going to take that and bring it to Jay Stanford and Joe Fontana and say, look what the people want? But well, here's, uh, without here's, understanding that here's the people the don't have clue one about how much it costs. Once you tell folks it costs $100 million, they say no. So, for example, the city currently is considering, and, and they're going to be awfully mad at me down at City Hall when I raise this, a bus rapid transit system. Well, folks think, well, this is a kind of an interesting idea. Then you tell them the price. Minimum $340 million and probably up to $400 million. Well, they don't want it because they instantly figure out that's going to have an impact on taxes. And by the way, you folks have hit the limit on taxes. That's why we have Joe Fontana as mayor. Mm -hmm. Because 70% in Nordex polls for the last five to six years have said, I want a tax freeze or I want tax cuts. And by the way, I'm very happy to have service cuts. So this idea that people want stuff and they don't want to see reductions, that is nonsense. Are we going to become another Stockton, California if they raise taxes? Stockton, California just declared bankruptcy, and they're 300,000 population, just like London. Well, we have a problem, and, and, and another observation I'll make that folks won't particularly like, particularly the free press. This, this city, in, in historical ther- terms, is in a state of decline. Uh, industry, ba- industry base is leaving. Uh, th- that's right. In, a, in effect, the city of London really is the hole in the donut. And, and how do we know this? Well, we see people moving out to the peripheries to the north, to the west, what have you, to frankly uh, build housing that's cheaper outside of the city limits. Why? People don't want to pay the taxes. That sounds pretty reasonable to me. But, you know, it's funny that you say that they're willing to accept service cuts because whenever I hear on the radio, oh, if we're going to have this cut, that means service cuts. I'm just saying, go with it. Take those service cuts. Oh, yeah, whenever know? I hear yeah. about government service cuts, I'm going, yes, please. I mean, I'm not, I'm a middle-aged man. I don't even partake of anything except maybe police and fire and garbage. I don't know what else. I mean, you got the roads, but... Well, it's, it, it is so clear in terms of their preferences that they're now considering in this, and, and 10, 20 years ago when we were polling, this would never be considered. They're now considering cuts to police services. Mm-hmm. So folks, will, and, and they regard that as the core service. So when uh, Joe Fontana got elected, he said, gee, everything's on the table except for core services. He said, police I want to sustain, fire, emergency services, and what have you. So notwithstanding what Joni Beckler says, he said there was a core of essential services and everything else was subject to Well, he's to actually right about that, and That's police right. is the number one core issue, and it's the reason for municipal government being in the first place. But why do we have the Dearness Home? Why do we have the JLC? Why do we have the Museum London? Why do we have all of these big white elephants? And Worse. they are white elephants, no matter what, how much money they might bring in, they're white elephants in the end. Worse, why do we have golf courses? Why do we have golf courses? Exactly. Good one. Good. Well, I see nothing wrong with a golf course as long as the city's not running it. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Listen, let's take a quick break and we'll continue the conversation on the other side of this. Hello, my name is Deborah Garinger, calling on behalf of Hello. a plastic citizens for are change. making a courtesy call Can I speak to remind Ms. Evangelista like about the debate for city Hi, council this is Nancy Rotland. Okay, I'm calling on behalf you. of Agrestic um, Citizens for Change. Would you like Agrestic to be a drug-free community? Nancy, put a little more perk in your pitch. I can't do this, Celia. What? 
We're just letting people know about the debate. Deborah Geringer, Agrestic Citizens for Change. Well, I can't just say it's me. You know, that would be too... Honest? Leading. We're trying to let the voters decide for themselves. I guess it's only marginally delusional. You got the late shift. Don't you have a debate with my wife tomorrow? Oh, yeah, the debate thingy. What's on the boob? Yeah, as your campaign manager, I should tell you, she's been practicing all week. Well, she's wasting her time. Nobody goes to those things. And besides, I'm great at debating. Go ahead, ask me a question. Uh, Mr. Wilson, um, what zoning laws do you plan to enact to combat suburban sprawl? Next question. <laughs> <laughs> Typical day at City Hall, eh? <laughs> We're here with uh, Kimberly Ainsley, uh, president of Nordics Research, talking about uh, a roundtable discussion, that online discussion that he had with over 700 citizens dealing with the environment. And I wonder if we can get into now the composition of the, the kind of people who actually responded. Uh, the demographics, who were they? Well, initially we thought we would bring in a lot of uh, environmental activists because, of course, the thing was about conservation and the environment and uh, and energy matters. Mm -hmm. uh, it turned out that lasted for about a month. Uh, and then all of a sudden, the in a sense, what we'll describe as mainstream folks came into the debate and we had a, f a fair bit of um, a conversation back and forth, both left and right. Who dominated? Well, our great friends, the baby boomers and seniors, people from the West End, Particularly by the Ward 10, uh, Paul Van Meerbergen's ward had dominated. Um, the southwest folks. of the city? That, that's right. Um, although, by the way, the, the folks who, mo and this was fascinating, the folks who most appreciated what we were doing were women from working families, non-management, non-professionals, coming from the core area and Old South. Now, why would that be? I have no idea. Really? <laughs> um, but they let you know. that they uh, they, they said... This is fabulous. And by the way, when you describe this as an online discussion, I mean, theoretically, I suppose, it was a discussion by email. We posed the questions, they emailed the answers into us. Right. I wonder if it's because perhaps they were comparing it to other similar efforts going on in the city and they found this one better. Well, Maybe uh, that's the reason they liked it. Your, your colleague mentioned before to me when we were um, before the program started, they, they didn't really see a lot of advertising on it. Mm -hmm. Fortunately, these folks did mm -hmm. and the very first thing they said was, we really appreciate the opportunity to be able to speak our minds. So, what, what, what were they telling you? How were, what were they, how were they speaking their mind? What were the big issues? This is always something that fascinates me. We posed 30 questions over the course of seven months, and we talked about everything from environmental protection to clean technologies mm -hmm. to Anthony Scott's uh, theory of conservation economics to litter bugs to garbage to air quality, uh, mobilizing community volunteers, parks and green spaces, just everything under the sun. Excellent. And, and that's what we talked, uh, as I say, 30 questions. Uh, what, what were the big interesting things that came out of from, from my point of view? Um, I've never, over the course of 25 years, really appreciated how much Londoners are attached to their neighborhoods. I always thought the, the core social unit in this city was the family, but not so. There's a heavy orientation toward neighborhood development, and particularly folks in this city want walkable neighborhoods. Well, before you continue on that vein, Kim, 
Wasn't it the fact that the vast majority of the respondents lived west of Richmond Street, where the up, uh, young, upwardly mobile type of uh, and male? Wasn't that the demographic that the majority of that's, people that's were? The, in our terms, the, the, the buzzword we have is called, that's the leading plurality. So it wasn't necessarily the majority, but maybe 40% or so. Okay, so the, the leading plurality, the yes. Yeah, sure. And so that, that's the leading group. But we had folks all over the city answering. Now, I can see, for example, people in Wortley Village being very concerned about uh, maybe a four or five-story high-rise going into their uh, small neighborhood or uh, maybe some other little communities, especially in the Old North, Old South. Well, here, here's what they were really but concerned about. in the suburbs, yeah, do, yes, really and, people, do people really care about their neighborhood? In fact, it was in the suburbs that we got the most, in a sense, contestation, right? and here's why. Oh. They don't like, in a sense, the big box uh, commercial developments that you can't walk into. Oh, mm. I can I can sympathize with them. Just look at the Hyde Park Road. Anybody out there who knows yeah. the Hyde Park and Fanshawe Road development, first of all, you can't get to it without a car. Right. It is impossible. And with a car, it's almost impossible because you have to man- maneuver around <laughs> all those stupid little islands they got there to find a parking spot. Well, and that, then uh, you have to walk half a kilometer to get to the store after you park. Well, that's the worst one. But even Masonville, by the way, our old state Masonville, folks, in a sense, regard that as, as not particularly pedestrian-friendly, even though it is you know, more concentrated. So uh, they really like the idea to be able to walk to a mall. Now, this is an interesting idea. Uh, I, I never considered it before. And it came out of the round table. Robert, uh, you asked before, where, where did this go? Well, when we, in a sense, addressed this and raised this with uh, city administrators, they were also interested in that idea, too, that that was an, a, a new kind of concept to them, too, notwithstanding all of the studies they do, that they realized, in a sense, the interest was so intense. Mm-hmm. And so that's one area. Another fascinating area is what we call the conservation dilemma. And this came up time and time again by these folks. In other words, you engage in water conservation or electricity conservation, but you don't get rewarded with lower rates or lower taxes. And I'll tell you, it was fascinating. People began to learn about this inside the survey, and more and more consternation began to develop. (laughs) It hit the newspaper that the folks down at City Hall in the engineering department wanted to put in a minimum charge, and and the folks inside the roundtable just went ballistic. So that was fascinating. The conservation dilemma then became a salient issue for us. So in other words, if somebody's out there and they're trying to conserve their water, and all of a sudden they get a water bill that's even higher than before because of minimum charges and the like, or because of increased rates, they're not going to worry about conservation anymore. So why bother? Conservation is not a a reasonable practice as far as I'm concerned. Not Not in the sense that people do it for the environment. You do conservation for economic reasons. Of course. That's exactly right. Not for environmental reasons, which totally misleads your efforts and has counterproductive results. In fact, folks folks mainly engage the conservation in order to save money. Exactly. That's that's why you don't, that's why conservation's a non-issue to me. You don't have to tell people to save money. Hey, get out there and save money. I mean, it's so (laughs) stupid. And I'm thinking, okay, how are they going to, you know, push this one? Well, the environment. Well, as, as you would know, the price mechanism would probably work better. Yes. We so, know that from, from experience and, and from <laughs> thinking so it through. Another thing we so. discovered along the way, and I guess I knew it a little bit, uh, folks in this city, whether like, uh, people at the city hall like it or not, really want an expressway around the city really? for business purposes and what have you. Now, this issue constantly gets sublimated, although in our Nordex polls, it is a regular visitor in our open-ended questions. 
that is, we didn't necessarily ask about it specifically, or in a sense, closed-ended questions when a client wants to hear about it. The proverbial so, ring road, eh? The proverbial ring road. Yeah. Moreover, they don't want, particularly want an expansion of transit or an improvement of transit to, in a sense, support 10% of the population who takes the bus. Uh, these fig- folks want wider roads, four- and six-lane roads. Remembering, of course, the demographics of this plurality, which are the people out in the west end of the city, which are very... Well, let's say um, a little. They make a little bit more money than I do, than <laughs> most people do, and uh, they take their cars, their BMWs. They don't. They've probably never taken a bus in thirty years. And so, naturally, they're not going to be wanting uh, increased bus transportation. And, 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 and by the way, in, in spades, we discovered why they don't want to take the bus. You know, bad bus driver attitudes, poor routing, peop- they don't stop, um, uh, smelly uh, buses. And, uh, and the worst thing we discovered was violence on the buses. Oh, People, yes. There are assaults and what have you, which was frankly a surprise to me. And I, I must tell you, I'm, I'm a guy who does not take the bus. I have a little car, and I boot around the city. It's not just those West End folks who are affluent, though, that you might say, oh, gee, they're, they're hived off in the West End. People who live in the West End drive all over the city. Yes. And many of them drive over to the East End for their industrial jobs, for example, on Oxford Street East. Correct. So, yeah. As a matter of fact, the West End of the city is probably one of the poorest plans, if you ask me, in regards to transportation, because you have basically one, maybe two bridges going over the over the Thames, north to south, and that is, of course, uh, Wonderland Road. If you don't include Sanatorium Road and, and thereby Bola Road, you've got Wonderland Road, and then you've got Warncliffe. And then that's it. To get the entire half of the city from the north to the south or the south to the north, you have to go over two bridges. Wonderland Road is nothing but a parking lot in most days. At around 4.30 in the planning, afternoon, guys. it certainly is. I, I had a debate with one of the, the officials down at City Hall and who suggested to me there was no traffic congestion in the City of London. I said, well, that is not, not so. And we were doing another survey on it, on commuter travel and what have you, and we, we received the information that demonstrated quite clearly folks out there think there's congestion. And not by the way, it's in the morning, in the afternoon, obviously not yes. midday. So. Oh, yes, no, it's around rush hours. But, I mean, there's another part of planning that I think may, might go unnoticed, but not now around construction time, because let's take the east-west for example I, I travel from the east to downtown in the mornings i have to go i usually go york street okay york street's now one lane basically each way under because they're doing uh, sewer work or main uh, water main work there which is fine it's got to be done understand that but then oh, i'm sorry i meant horton but then so okay i'll go york what happens in york they're doing construction there's down to one lane okay so i'll go dundas dundas is closed completely where do i go i gotta go through soho I got to go meander back and forth, left and right, going through the neighborhoods to get where I want to go in any reasonable amount of time because they don't plan the construction work. And you're not, not even, just, and you're not even on a bus. They're walking. Just imagine if you're on a bus, folks. Just constantly complain to us in surveys. Uh, there's a, a half hour trip that would other, otherwise be taken by car. It takes me an hour and a half by bus. Yes. So the, for, the, for that reason alone, the bus is not tenable. And you know why? I've got it figured out. You tell me if I'm wrong, Kim. All of the buses, for some odd reason, all have to go down the Richmond and Dundas. Yes. yes. Why? We live in a grid system here in, 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 in London. With one transfer, you should be able to go anywhere in this city. Well, strictly speaking, we don't live in a grid system, and that's the problem. Because all routes do, in a sense, go downtown. That, and that is the fundamental problem. Well, it's an unacknowledged. <laughs> when, when, when do you find buses uh, on a regular basis going up and down Wonderland? Or all the way up and down Oxford. 
that's the thing. They, they'll go up a little bit, then they cut over, and that's they right. go through a neighborhood to get to Dundas and Richmond. Yes. And, and, and people say, and they just don't understand. I mean, wh- why isn't it on a grid system? Toronto is. Uh, some other city is. They, they just can't figure. They, they can't figure out why Toronto has a better transit system than we do. We, and we get that mm-hmm. quite a lot. Well, just don't go to Dundas and Richmond. <laughs> The Richmond bus should go to Richmond. The Dundas bus should go to go to Dundas and Richmond. But the Oxford bus should just go back and forth. Oxford, the Clark Road bus should go up and up and north, up I don't and know down. If it still does, but I remember the Oxford Street uh, East bus going all the way out to Jalna Boulevard out at Meg Drive. That's yes. where it turned around. Yeah, that's right. They, they yeah. cut through the center of the city, causing congestion. One of the best times I ever had commuting in this city was when the bus strike when the, when but, the bus strike occurred about two years ago. You can get around this city lickety split without those buses on the road. Apparently, at the time, though, I understood that the Oxford East route and the Dundas route were among two of the few making money. So I don't know if that's why they had them that way. But it's interesting. You said a lot of the respondents really didn't see the bus as being the you know public transit being the thing worth expanding. Did they did they give you a, a positive answer to that question, or or were they just asked about the buses? Did they give an alternative, like what we should do about perhaps well, but, but, addressing public transit? Well, the positive answer is take a car or have a car. Mm-hmm. It's, it's in a ring road. <laughs> uh, sure, I mean it's fascinating. For example, I did a study back in 1988 for the LTC and, and trying to fix up the bus system, and I suggested a few things. One of which is to have, in a sense, circular roads in the downtown area. Um, and uh, but what, one one of the suggestions I had, which really wasn't taken up very well, is that they ought to re- label the LTC as the second best way. <laughs> when you couldn't use your car, you can use the bus. And I suggest that's the way to market it. To market because it, yeah. nobody believes, by the way, this is going to become a primary mode of transportation. Londoners look at you, cock their heads like a, a confused puppy, and wonder, what the heck are you talking about? They're just not going to take the bus. Yeah, I think anybody who takes the bus basically has to take the bus. People, people, and the politically incorrect observation about buses is that folks who don't have enough income take the bus. That's what... Well, what's what a bus occurs. pass cost? You say 60 bucks a month, 75 bucks a month? Well, you know, pricey enough, but of course a car is more expensive. It is, in fact, with all the expenses. And uh, But still people prefer it because why? Why, Robert, they want personal mm-hmm. individual choice. They want to get to the places they want to get to when they want to get to them. That's right. Uh, you know, if you take the time into account, personally in my situation, I found it's not more expensive to drive, honestly. Uh, try driving a Toyota Echo for a while and see how little gas that uses if you drive as little as I do, right? And I, I've already worked it out. If I took the bus, it would cost me more. If I took a cab, even way more. And uh, there's another issue is the whole taxi cab situation in the city and the licensing. Did any of that come up at all? Uh, n- no, it rarely does, uh, although I've done um, work a number of years ago in this area. And um, w- we have to say the least, a slight problem in the economics and the organization of the taxi industry in the city. To say the least. And also to say the least, we're at the bottom of the hour right now. I've got to take a quick break for station identification and a few messages, and we shall return. Okay, this vote is on a motion by Walter Stringer to request a variance from zoning regulation 11.6 for a front yard setback. All in favor? Try 11.2. Excuse me. It's zoning regulation 11.2, not 6. And Walt is not adding a family room. Mm-mm. He's adding a giant garage for his boat, which is going to cut off all the light to his neighbor's dining room. Read the plans. Family room doesn't have concrete floors and a door that's operated by a remote. 
You're not in charge here anymore, Wilson. Lucky for you, I'd throw your nautical ass right out of here. Really? Excuse me. You're out of order. Now, all those in favor of granting the motion, raise your hand and say aye. Aye. All of those against, nay. Nay. Motion is denied. The last thing we need right now is panic. Mr. Midland, Channel 6. Mr. Mayor, isn't it true that if the temperature reaches 100 and everyone keeps driving their cars, that we will all die a slow, suffocating death from carbon monoxide poisoning? Oh, yeah. Come on now. Of course not. The citizens of Metropolis are perfectly safe. It's just hot out. And getting hotter by the hour. Yeah. And the heat goes on. Next. Uh, Miss Lane, Daily Planet. Yeah, Mr. Mayor, what about the brownouts? There doesn't seem to be enough electricity to power the air conditioners, let alone the traffic lights. What's the city doing about it? I got you, babe, but there's no need to worry about the power supply. It's completely under control. In case you didn't pick it up, that was Sonny Bono. If that, if I got you, babe, and the heat goes on, <laughs> didn't give it away. That was the late Sonny Bono. Good day to play it, too. Yeah. Welcome back to Just Right on CHRW 94.9 FM, where you can call 519-661-3600 to uh, join in in our discussion about uh, the city. We're here sitting with uh, Kim Ainsley, uh, Kimball Ainsley, Dr. Kimball Ainsley, president of Nordex Research who put together a uh, an online email version of um, a roundtable, and that's what it was called, a roundtable, on the issue specifically of the environment in this city. And uh, I wanted to ask you one question about balance, Kim, and that is, it says here in your summation that we chose to pose smart questions and serious questions, nothing too gimmicky, too faddish, or too topical. Well, that's good. We attempted to insert as much balance into the questions as we could without losing focus. We wanted all sides of the issues to feel comfortable expressing themselves. Now, when you say balance, to me, if I was to hear a politician say balance, not not yourself as a, as a pollster, but a, a politician, that to me sounds like I want to balance right with wrong. <laughs> or, or what I agree with, what, with what I disagree with. <laughs> or or the, the radicals with the sane. Um, why do we need balance? Why don't we just have an honest, honest response to an honest question? I guess oh. principally because we figured out some time ago that folks do uh, speak from the point of view of their interests and their values. Their ideology? <laughs> And their interests and their values are communicated through ideological discourse. It's left and right, ladies and gentlemen, and let's not play games about it. That's what it is. And so when a question from, say, the modest left about corporate social responsibility comes up, I asked also about, in a sense, the libertarian preference for uh, removing damage or pollution beyond the plant gate. Uh, when I asked about transportation issues on transit, I asked about trans uh, uh, transportation preferences on, on roads. Mm -hmm. uh, when we asked about walkable neighborhoods, we also asked about, well, where does the car fit in? 
um, and the like. So that's what you so meant that by balance. balance. That's yeah, right. Yeah, so, yeah. so there tended to be the balance was left and right. It's sort of you, you sort of have to presuppose what the opposing viewpoint might be when you pose a question. Though, oh, and frankly, not terribly different from my, from the bad old days when I was a university lecturer, when I would pose to my students, okay, here's one perspective and here's the perspective on the other side. Please choose one or 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 both and argue them, please. Mm-hmm. Another interesting thing that came out of your uh, roundtable was autonomous responses. And you give us an example, free trade. Do you want to expand on that? Because I found this particularly interesting. Well, this this is a, a fascinating phenomenon that we de- um, guess detected back in the late 1980s. Uh, and it really came home in the 1988 um, so-called free trade election. When, it, to make a long story short, we'd ask about whether or not folks liked the Mulroney trade deal or they liked the, the, the very principle of free trade itself. Well, they didn't like the trade deal. They liked free trade in the principle. So... Were they in contradiction? Were they, in a sense, uh, talking past themselves, so to speak? And, and we instantly discovered, because we knew that the um, uh, electorate in the collective is rational. So they were probably giving us another answer. And so we probed for that, and the short answer is they wanted a different kind of deal. In other words, what the contradiction was, was Mulroney's calling it a free trade deal, when in fact we all knew that we don't have free trade with the United States. Well, it was a it was a managed trade deal. We we just used the term free trade because it, you know it, it's easier to, to convey the concept, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the idea here is that they were giving us an answer to a question we didn't pose. That's what autonomous res- response is about. And you found that in this particular roundtable on the environment. Do you and have an in example? this one, it just came out as I said before in spades. I mean, it's just uh, half the questions. People would take the opportunity to give us a slightly different cut on on the question. So, for example, on the littering questions I mentioned to you before, when we we're off uh, off air, um, you know, we'd ask all manner of questions about controlling people's behavior and what do we do about bus stops, blah blah blah. And they said simply, you solve the problem by having collection bins. Just place collection bins all over the city. And by the way, we have a dearth of collection bins in this city. Mm-hmm. And people just want places to put the litter. And by the way, you really need them at bus stops. Absolutely. But and, you, and then you need someone to pick pick up the garbage and after they're full. And then you're going to have that, all those collection litter, litter, litter that's boxes real, around. That's a real issue. And probably mm-hmm. the leading issue why we don't have collection bins across the city right now. Because it's, it's a significant expense. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't that be a great business for a private business to run? Wouldn't you think that there would be some money in that in some way? That, yes, that, I, I think that, somebody could generate a proposal on that. Because, I mean, as long as they didn't have to deal with the city. <laughs> you know, I remember when Mark Emery ran the city's kiosks downtown. Yes. He ran them for... He, he rented them for a dollar a month. It cost them thousands every year to run them. And he made money on each and every one just by renting each one out for a display. $30 a month he charged, which was cheap. Just like it takes, right? uh, what, a million dollars to, to uh, put buses from uh, Dundas Street over to Queen Street? Well, we, we wonder about expenses. <laughs> of course, we're dealing with uh, unionized employees when you're talking about the city, and much like the $143 installation of a pencil sharpener and Toronto's district school board. So, I mean, uh, it's no, no wonder that the city really couldn't run the kiosks and Mark Emery or any other businessman could with a profit. It's, it's a different set of operations, no question. Hmm. Yeah. Now, now yeah. in the last break, Kim, you said something very disturbing to me, and that was regarding some of the discussions that go on, and nobody writes down 
what is being said. Is that for real? <laughs> I, I'm just astonished by how many um, uh, public participation opportunities are, are, are missed because uh, the folks at this city hall or any other city or hall around Ontario don't write down what the folks say. So let me give you an example. Every time you go to a community meeting, by the way, nobody is recording the remarks of the contributors. There's not even a, a mechanical device going? There's no, no mechanical nothing. device, no. and therefore there is no transcript. And therefore, there's no analyst behind the transcript to analyze the trends and what have you. Well, that's exactly what we did in the roundtable. I read, gentlemen, I'm here to report to you uh, uh, proudly, a half a million words out of the roundtable. I'm not kidding you. Mm -hmm. uh, 700 pages of single-page text. That had to be analyzed to come up with, by the way, 34 pages in my final report. So it's it's a huge task. You have to have an experienced uh, analyst to do it. You can't just put a summer student on the job, believe me. Uh, uh, another one, a strengthening neighborhoods participation effort that went on um, a year or two ago here in the city of London. They laid out umpteen dozen strategic objectives, and nobody carried a transcript out of the meetings. Nobody recorded the marks. So they were just, as far as I was concerned, dreaming it up. Now, I have participated behind the microphone to a number of um, input sessions that both the city and the school board and the province have, have asked for public input. I'd go there and I'd give them my input. And uh, I would always have a written proposal and I would hand it to them. And I wondered I, whether or not they would actually read it or listen to me. And I, so many times I would see them just sitting there doodling, yawning, waiting for the whole thing to be over. There were some uh, interested councillors, trustees, and uh, city members or provincial members who would actually take you to heart. But by and large, I think it was more or less an exercise in saying, let's give the public an opportunity to speak. We're going to do what we want anyway. Do you well, find that? Uh, well, that, that's just uh, invariably what happens, and it's, it's, a, it's the scourge of, of good public participation. Let me give you a tip, gentlemen. W when you submitted, by the way, that document, you, you, were, uh, you were guaranteed that somebody would read it. Mm -hmm. But the problem is you're an articulate, educated individual, and most of the folks going to that meeting didn't do what you did. And so their participation was not recorded like yours was. So in a sense, you became part of the, in a sense, intellectual elite. Now, would this explain why a city in Ontario... Bob, do you remember the that's city? That's why the pen's mightier than the sword, by the way. <laughs> that's true, actually. I believe that. Do you, uh, do you know... If this, is this the case where uh, the city in... Uh, where's it? In the, in the horseshoe somewhere. Uh, outlawed this woman from videotaping city discussions. No, it was out here in, in western Ontario, at a, at yeah. a small town west of here, west of oh, London. was it? Yeah. Yes. Um, oh, yes, right. Uh, sure. Um, Petrolia, I think, was that's, it? That's like exactly that. right. And... and, and <laughs> really an unfortunate set of circumstances. Let me give you another tip, by the way. If you submit the document that you crafted for yourself to um, a politicians and the bureaucrats, if you give it to the politicians before the meeting, he or she will read it, but not after. If you give it to the bureaucrats, they'll read it after the meeting. And that's what happens always. Well, that's interesting to yes. know. Interesting. So maybe you should have two sets of documents. Give them one before the meeting, mail it to them, so that they can have it in their... Uh, dispatch box, so to speak, uh, so the politicians can read it, and then at the end of it, hand it to the secretary for the bureaucrats. Well, more importantly, if you could revise your, your text, taking into account what went on at the meeting, then you could revise it for the bureaucrats for their post-meeting analysis. Huh. 
Listen, let's take a quick break, and when we come back, I'd like to talk to you a little bit about recycling and what people think about recycling in London. Let him speak! The mind power doesn't come from the barrel of a gun. A chicken in every pot, you know what I'm saying? Rob from the rich and give to the poor. <laughs> give a man a fish, he'll eat for a day. Teach a man to fish, he'll eat for the rest of his life. What's he talking about? Hey, the man's making sense here. Yeah. That's not what your country can do for you. That's what you can do for your country. What should profit a man to gain the world and lose his soul? Hey, come on, brothers, let's fight for what we believe in. So much for not involvement. Power to the people! If you had a more informed group of consumers, they wouldn't get such satisfaction out of doing this recycling because they'd realize the fact that very often what they're doing is they're making the budget situation for the local community worse off. They're having an adverse effect on the environment, not always, but sometimes. And, and in general, they're wasting resources when they recycle. We thought a list of good reasons to recycle might help clarify the issue. So it feels good, a big plus. Good reason. That's, that's enough reason to do anything. But why does it feel good? Because we're helping. And what are we helping? Does it save energy? No. Because it increases energy use in transport, sorting, storing, and cleaning. All of those things needed to get it back to a useful state. It takes more energy to recycle a plastic bottle than to make a new one. And that's not so good. So, so far, we're feeling good for no reason. And that's fine, too. But if you want to feel good while being stupid and wasting your time, maybe heroin is for you. <laughs> I think heroin's a little far to go, but interesting, Kim. What, what do you think, what, what, what do Londoners or your respondents say to the whole recycling issue? Because this is a huge issue in the papers all the time. Londoners love recycling. They do. They love garbage services. <laughs> they want to talk about littering. They, they get incensed about littering. In well, the littering, city. I get incensed about that, but recycling is... Uh, they, they're very happy to be, uh, to be organized on the matter of, uh, the, as I would describe it, the administration of blue boxes. Uh, they always want, uh, obviously, the eligibility of new products and things going into the blue box to be expanded. So that's that's a, a certainty. And I must say, the folks downtown do a pretty good job of accommodating all that. I mean, the most recent one was those... Um, um, what is it described as uh, the plastic uh, containers that now are taken? Um, I, I've just forgotten the precise name, uh, but anyways, the the, the list of new things to be taken into the blue box is oh, the hard uh, plastic. Expensive. Yes. Um, I always found it interesting that the city could not pick up garbage once a week. For example, we now have a three-day-long weekend coming up. My garbage is going to sit there for 10 days before they pick it up in 34-degree weather. Well, Robert, I want to tell you, you're in the minority. Really? People don't mind the eight-day uh, cycle, including, by the way, the delays with the statutory holidays. Why? Because it saves money. So we're very early on in this discussion. We said, oh, people well, always they believe want it saves money. I don't know that it actually does. Well, Isn't a lot of that perception? Uh, there, there, there is a theoretical claim that it saves sure. money. I'm, I'm not sure that there is. It's isn't. the same with recycling. Uh, you know, 
a lot of recycling is wasteful. Let's face it. Uh, it's uh, well, from an economic point of view, the, the recycling is view. somewhat expensive. Although mm -hmm. we have a, f a pretty good market to to pick up this stuff in terms of commercial developers, uh, once the city picks it up and they pass mm -hmm. it on to them. Uh, so anyway, let's talk about bicycling. Yes. What did your uh, roundtable discover about bicycles in the city? Well, in, in the roundtable and elsewhere, uh, uh, folks, even uh, cyclists, by the way, are very concerned about bike safety in the city. It is a very salient point for them. Uh, and what's the problem? Uh, we drivers are not nearly polite and accommodating enough to uh, bi bicyclists on the road, and that and that's the plain fact of it. I used to drive my bike in this city for quite a while when I worked at the university. So for about five years, I rode my bike, and I was taking my life in, into my hands every Every single day I set off on my bicycle, people would just almost knock you right off your bike out, uh, out of the street. Uh, and frankly, it's, it's as bad or worse for walkers. So uh, here's a fellow, I'm an aging baby boomer, and I'm now looking to walk around the uh, streets of London, if you will. I'm one of the finest gentlemen to walk the streets of London, and, and yet I have people want to knock me off every day. Uh, and when I had my dog, it was worse. Well, you know, I th as a driver, not too frequent, but I can I can see it the other way. Yesterday, I, you know, I saw a bunch of people walk right in front of me against the light, right? Pedestrians. They think they got the right of way regardless of whether the light's ah, on or not. Here, here's an anecdote for you. I was down at Dundas in Richmond, and sure enough, you see a couple of girls crossing the street against the light. One particular car was uh, unhappy about that and made it known. And there was a policeman there. He walked behind the girls, gave them a ticket. For jaywalking, really? right in front of me. Well, that's that's wow, that's interesting. Yeah. <laughs> well, you're it's absolutely a street. You know, pardon the pun. <laughs> you're, you're right, Robert. Uh, uh, car drivers who see it a slightly different way yeah. say uh, we're, uh, we're just sick to death of cyclists blowing red lights and stop signs, and um, and and this is dangerous and all the rest of it. But by far, the largest majority of people say that cycling is just taking your life in your hands. Now, there's a fascinating, in a sense. Uh, reaction to, to that problem, and that is people are finding in this city all kinds of ways to find back paths or off streets in terms of, uh, of, of, of uh, using their cycles, uh, their mm -hmm. bicycles on, and um, and getting around the problem of having to be on the streets. And uh, by the way, the, the walking trails we have in this city also aid that in terms of people getting uh, staying away from cars. Well, that's interesting because, you know, I've never had an objection to bicyclists being on the sidewalk when they're going a reasonable speed or something like that. But, of course, some of the bikes, you know, you get in the higher speed bikes, and they're going pretty fast. You don't want them going down the sidewalk. I think it's just a matter of accommodating whatever traffic you're dealing with. And especially, you know, I go down Warncliffe a lot. That's a narrow street, four-lane street for bicyclists. Um, those folks are taking their lives in their hands. I can't remember seeing a bicyclist on Warncliffe because... <laughs> I see one almost Evolution would take care of them right away. <laughs> Well, I don't know about well, that. Well, and, and frankly, uh, nobody's perfect in all of this. If you're a walker in the park system in London, uh, you will curse out bicyclists every day because it, it, they come whizzing right. up behind you without their little bells on, and they're a danger. Uh, I just about got cream myself when I was in a, in a park in Toronto a couple of years ago. It's, it's a little frightening. So that was a major issue in the roundabout, uh, roundtable discussion. Well, what else came out of that? Uh, let, let's see now. Um, um, well, the thing that got me interested was when you were mentioning how people are in favor of development in our 
City Park. Yes, That's interesting. Very, very good point. Uh, this came as a pr- surprise to us uh, too. Uh, the, after all, there's some discussion about Victoria Park and Springbank Park. Then, in a the sense that they're Maybe over, we should have kept the seals, eh? O- overdeveloped. <laughs> well, that's another issue. Isn't oh, is it? <laughs> it? <laughs> uh, so, especially in Victoria Park downtown. I mean, is it too, too commercialized? Appears in the summertime every weekend is dominated by some sort of event or other. And and people were complaining inside the roundtable. By the way, these events are starting to look all alike. And by the way, an awful lot of the vendors are at each and every event, and the vendors don't particularly represent the theme of the event. So for a number of reasons, there was some concern. But having said that, the majority said, no, we want parks for people. We want, uh, we want in a sense, these festivals. They particularly love the festivals in, uh-huh. in uh, Victoria Park. And, and yes, there may be a few warts, and some of the vendors are not picking up for themselves, so charge them more money and, and let us have these events. With something like, uh, for example, a little ice cream stand in Springbank Park, I'd love to be able to go through Springbank and buy a pop or a hot dog. Why can't uh, well, we do that? Well, in another research we've carried out, folks have m- mentioned just that. Uh, that even in, by the way, the, the walking trails along Leonard, along the Thames River, for example, why, why can't we have little ice cream stands in the summertime? Privately run, by the way. That, don't that's what don't I, get into this. I, I think that's the, re- run a hot dog that's the reason. Because <laughs> <laughs> exactly, do we want the city running these things? I mean, the city can no. can, can own the park and, and maintain the commons, but it shouldn't be operating the independent businesses. Although I imagine it's going to have to license them, isn't it, uh, on its yeah. own property? Yeah. You know, it's it's a, that's an interesting development. I'd be interested to see how far something like that goes. Uh, believe it or not, our time's running out. So I wanted to to. to to sort of get a summary on all this. Now, with all this information, and you've got all of this information collected, where does it go? What will happen to it? How can people access it? If, can they? Yeah, yes, indeed. And, and that's coming up. We're, we're, we're doing what we can. Uh, as I mentioned to you before, there's a half a million <laughs> words that we had to contend mm-hmm. with. We have 700 pages of text. So we're now scratching our heads down at, at City Hall and, and, and with, with Nordex, <clears throat> uh, figuring out how, to, how we're going to present this. And we think we have more or less a solution. Um, Nordex has provided summaries of each one of the results of the questions. So we think we can post that online. And there are really quite useful um, transcripts commentaries from ordinary individuals in the um, uh, roundtable, and we think we can publish that. Uh, there are, of course, legal liability issues, so we have to contend with that, when, whether you like it or not. If you say something, if you post something that that somebody says, oh, gee, I didn't say that, even though we have a transcript of it, or they don't like now what they said previously, then you have an issue and all the rest of it. So somehow we have to contend with that. Uh, but the short answer is we already have an update on the uh, on the site, uh, which is um, uh, london.ca slash roundtable. Okay. And and folks can see they are March update on on what uh, the city plan to do with it. So the it's the environmental programs division of the engineering department that is running the roundtable. Now the um, demographics of the respondents seem to be a pretty uh, accurate reflection of the demographics of the city at large. Would you say that? Well, it's certainly uh, in Nordex polling. Here's what I can say: uh, the roundtable was absolutely reflective of ordinary uh, electors in the city people who vote. So the 40% or 35% or 50% who vote in elections, uh, we basically had the same demographics. So the city better listen to the answers here at their peril? Is that what you're saying? Well, not not only are these folks representative of or ordinary folks who actually vote and appear in our polls, but these folks who wrote in are the activists. 
So yes, they should pay attention. Now, how, how might their opinions differ, and in what ways, perhaps, from what the city's hearing through all its rethink uh, public hearings? Well, it's having with, the, a, with the greatest respect to, to 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 those folks organizing that event, there there is a proclivity toward hearing from young people, mm-hmm. um, and uh, who from, don't vote, by the way who don't vote, uh, who, d- who aren't necessarily active. They're wonderful people. Here we are up at Western, so we can't say bad things. But the facts are the people who uh, who vote in this city uh, and who um, engage in terms of public um, activities are baby boomers, 45 to 65, and seniors over 65. So like it or not. So, they're, so what you're saying, too... I guess the flip side of that is that those kind of people aren't participating in the rethink process. Uh, those as much. those kinds of folks, not yet. I've had some exchange on this with the director of planning, uh, suggesting that these additional demographic cohorts, as I put it politely, ought to be um, stimulated. Is that rethink? Um, what, what I'm reading about that is that indicative of where the city itself intends to go because they seem to be very leading questions and 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 pointing the city in a certain direction. And everything you're telling me seems to tell me that our city councillors, etc., are totally out of sync with a lot of the citizenry. C- am I, am I city councillors themselves, when they get at or the, administration, uh, the um, decisions, which is often really right at the end, I, I think that's a bad idea. I think city councillors should be involved in these kinds of things r- much earlier. Um, uh, you know, they, they get it. Uh, but amongst some of the administration, there is a, an inclination, a decided, regular institutionalized inclination to swim upstream mm-hmm. um, and, and our, our view to clients and to the public is you have to pay attention to what's really going on now you have to go with the flow don't swim upstream don't try and force things down people's throats that they don't want to you know accept sure. and there is a tendency just like vision 96 more than a decade ago to promote uh, ideas that are not acceptable to Londoners Interesting. Thank you very much, Kim. Our Thank time you, Kim. is up. I can't believe how fast that hour just slipped by. Thanks so much. Time to go for another week, folks. Join us again next week when we will continue our journey in the right direction. Until then, be right, stay right, do right, act right, think right, and be right back here. See you then. Fade into color, color into black and white. Under the clothes, everything will be alright. <laughs> Look at this. Wilson, DeLuca, and Felton. Gone. Joe? Laid off. God, that's worse. <laughs> we expect more if the city doesn't get some more money soon. What do you got for BCI? We got a cage full. What took you so long? There are only six of us downstairs. We had 14 guys laid off in the past two weeks. It's over 2,000 cops all over the city. It ain't gonna be safe out there in them streets. Not with 2,000 unemployed cops running around loose. Come on, let's go.